Howdy, and welcome to Wise About Texas, the Texas History Podcast. I hope everyone had a very Merry Christmas and that you're having a relaxing week as we head into 2016. Today is December 29th, 2015, and 170 years ago today, United States President James K. Polk signed a document admitting Texas as the 28th state of the United States of America. So in this episode, I'm going to give you an overview of that process and a couple of the stories about Texas's joining of the Union. So we're going to go all the way back to 1803 and get wise about Texas. Let's think first about the migration and settlement of Texas. In 1803, with the Louisiana Purchase from France, the United States acquired a vast amount of territory which, at least according to many in the United States, included parts of Texas, which was then, of course, a Spanish territory. Also in dispute during this time period was Florida. Spain had some problems with revolutionaries in South America and wanted to discourage the U.S. from supporting those revolutions. It was certainly a tense time in North America. And over a period of two years, from 1817 to 1819, the U.S. Secretary of State, who was John Quincy Adams, met with the Spanish ambassador to the U.S., who was Luis de Onis y González Vara. They concluded negotiations with what is often called the Florida Treaty or the Adams-Onis Treaty. Now, this treaty was a feat of diplomacy and a very interesting study. Unfortunately, we don't have time to dive in too deep to the treaty, but the result was very important. With this treaty, the U.S. acquired Florida from Spain, as well as Oregon, although Great Britain had a claim in Oregon. Most importantly for this show, it established the Sabine River as the boundary between the U.S. and Spain. Some of that territory would later be disputed, but for our purposes, that's a good boundary. Almost immediately, however, Americans started looking west. In 1821, a newly independent Mexico opened immigration to Americans. Over the next 15 years, the American population in Texas would swell to 38,000 people. Mexico tried to control this population and enforce its laws, but as the population grew, the situation really got out of control. While the independent spirit of the Americans caused many to favor a revolution, the authorities, both Mexican and Anglo, had a pretty good lid on things. That is, until Santa Ana shredded the Constitution of 1824 and declared himself the supreme dictator. He took a hard line toward immigrants, and this eventually led to the Texas Revolution. Even during the relatively short military campaign, the prospect of United States entanglement was always present during the Texas Revolution. As Sam Houston retreated from the advancing Santa Ana, he intended to retreat all the way to a line that would have been defended by the United States Army under General Edmund Gaines. Instead, the Texas Army, which was spoiling for a fight, turned south toward Harrisburg, leading to the Battle of San Jacinto and a Texas victory on April 21, 1836. Now that Texas had achieved her freedom, she needed to organize a government, so an election was called for the first week of September 1836 to elect the government officials. The voters elected Sam Houston as the first president of the republic, and they ratified the proposed constitution for the republic. But they voted on one other thing. They voted overwhelmingly in support of having Texas annexed by the United States. So from the very first months of Texas's existence, the people desired to join the United States. There was one not-so-small problem, however, and that is that Texas allowed slavery. The slavery issue was already a hot issue in the United States. Andrew Jackson was the president, and he was in favor of Texas annexation, but he wanted Martin Van Buren to be elected to succeed him, and Jackson knew that the issue of annexing Texas 
as potentially a slave state could possibly become a huge issue in that 1836 election. In fact, Andrew Jackson didn't even recognize Texas independence until the last day of his presidency. Martin Van Buren also thought, thought that the issue of Texas annexation could become a big political problem. President Sam Houston had appointed a gentleman named Mamukin Hunt as the Texas minister to the United States. And for all you moms out there, I encourage you to name your baby's Mamukin. It is way underused. He proposed a formal proposal that the United States annex Texas in August of 1837, although he had wanted to present that proposal even earlier than that. President Van Buren immediately and summarily rejected it. And again, the reason for that was slavery. At the time, there were 13 slave states in the U.S. and 13 free states. If Texas had been admitted as a slave state, it would have put the Congress in control of the slave states, and that was the controversy in the United States. Now, pro-slavery Southern senators tried to get a resolution passed to annex Texas. On January 4, 1838, Senator William Preston of South Carolina proposed a resolution to annex Texas. Henry Clay attacked this resolution, and he also attacked, in a long speech, another resolution presented by pro-slavery Senator John Calhoun, which, in an indirect way, also involved the annexation of Texas. The Senate tabled the Preston Resolution in June of 1838. Texas annexation was also under consideration at this time in the House of Representatives, Now, at this point, John Quincy Adams, who had negotiated the treaty back in the early 1800s and had already been president of the United States, was back in the government as a congressman. I think he's the only former president to ever serve in the House of Representatives. I know that Andrew Johnson served in the Senate after having been president, but I think Adams is the only one to have served in the House. Anyway, Adams was vehemently anti-slavery, and therefore he was anti-annexation of Texas. He filibustered the Texas annexation in the House for three solid weeks. There was another factor in play concerning Texas annexation, and that was the prospect of war with Mexico. After the Battle of San Jacinto, Santa Ana signed two different treaties promising to leave Texas and to recognize Texas independence from Mexico. Well, no sooner did he arrive back in Mexico than he renounced all his promises. And there was also a concern on the U.S. side that if the U.S. annexed Texas, that it would be illegal under U.S. law as well. So Texas really had an uphill climb toward annexation at this point. Now, under the Texas Constitution, Houston was going to have to leave office after his first term, and he withdrew the annexation proposal. After Maribu Lamar's election as the second president of the Republic, the Texas Congress blessed Sam Houston's withdrawal, in early 1839. So annexation was now off the table, and Texas went on about its business as an independent country. Texas established diplomatic relations with several countries, including Great Britain, France, Belgium, and the Netherlands. Mexico, however, was still a problem. Lamar tried several times with several people to reach some sort of peace with Mexico, but it just didn't work. Despite the prior treaties, war with Mexico was on everyone's mind. Now, Great Britain was one of the Republic of Texas' greatest allies. Now, Britain didn't necessarily want Texas as a territory. She just didn't want it to become a state. Britain was justly concerned about uh, the expansion-minded folks in the United States 
and wanted to use Texas as a buffer to that westward expansion. Remember, I mentioned earlier, Great Britain claimed part of the Oregon area. Now, the Oregon area back then was uh, the northern part of present-day California, Oregon, and also Washington, probably part of Montana. Texas also made a really good trading partner with Great Britain because London loved cotton, and Texas was and is great cotton country. And it was also in Great Britain's interest to help Texas with its relations with Mexico. In 1840, Great Britain and Texas reached an agreement called a convention that called for Britain to negotiate with Mexico in an attempt to settle matters between Texas and Mexico. They were going to serve as sort of a mediator. And the agreement said that if Britain was successful in achieving a truce between Texas and Mexico within 30 days of the agreement, and a treaty, an all-out treaty with Mexico within six months of the agreement, then Texas would become responsible to Great Britain for one million pounds of Mexico's debt. So Britain was also in it for the money. And business has always been important when it comes to Texas. Well, nothing came of this particular attempt to work out a solution. There was an interesting proposal for peace that came from Santa Ana himself. Now, to set up the background for this proposal, we need to go back to episode three of Wise About Texas, where I mentioned the fact that Mexico had invaded San Antonio twice in 1842. And not only that, we also need to go to court. Now, back in the 1840s, the district courts in Texas were few and far between. And when the district court was in session in a particular place, it would call all the cases on the docket and try to get everything handled as quickly and efficiently as it could. That meant that when the court session opened, lawyers from all over the area would be present. In September 1842, the term of the district court began in San Antonio with Judge Anderson Hutchinson presiding. And in Hutchinson's diary, he recorded the first day of that term as September 5, 1842, and stated, quote, Open the district court at Behar. No invasion expected. Close quote. So because of the tension between Mexico and Texas, the threat of invasion was a constant presence on everyone's mind. And earlier that year, uh, Judge Hutchinson himself had lost a great deal of possessions um, when San Antonio was invaded. The court uh, actually started a trial shortly after September 5th, and the trial was a doctor suing the city for breach of contract. And during that trial, the judge was informed quietly that from 1,500 to 3,000 Mexican troops were approaching San Antonio. Now, if you'll go back to the minute books of the Bear County District Clerk, you'll see an entry on September 9, 1842, stating that that case was being continued, quote, the Mexican troops being in possession of this place, close quote. That's a pretty good reason for a continuance, in my opinion. Eventually, General Adrian Wool surrounded the town and called for all male male Anglo citizens to be taken as prisoners of war. And he promised these prisoners would be treated as gentlemen, and he was going to march them down to the Rio Grande and release them. He ended up capturing Judge Hutchinson. He also captured the district attorney, the district clerk, and every member of the San Antonio Bar except one. So the invading force captured all the lawyers as prisoners, which some folks might think is a pretty good idea. I, of course, have no comment on that. Instead of releasing the prisoners at the river, though, uh, they marched them to prison in Mexico, and some ended up in Perote prison for almost two years. Now, how does that story relate to the Santa Ana proposal? Well, during the imprisonment, 
Santa Ana spent some time talking with a lawyer named James Robinson. Robinson had fought at San Jacinto, and he had previously been a judge in the Republic of Texas up until 1840. When he released Robinson, he sent with him a message to Sam Houston that if Texas would return to the Mexican Union, she would be given control over her own internal affairs, uh, which is how the whole thing started, by the way, in 1836. Dr. Ashbell Smith, who was the Texas diplomat that was sent to England and France, speculated that this particular proposal was a precursor of Santa Ana ending hostilities finally and recognizing Texas independence. His British colleagues, however, disagreed. They thought that the proposal was meant to placate the Texans while Santa Ana dealt with a rebellion that was going on in the Yucatan Peninsula of Mexico. And after he had dealt with that rebellion, he would turn his sights again on recapturing Texas. By the way, the Republic of Texas had diplomatic relations with the Yucatan state that was in rebellion. It was called the Republic of Yucatan. And they had seceded or purported to secede from Mexico just as Texas had in 1841. Now, Sam Houston saw through all this, and he disavowed Santa Ana's proposal, but he did suggest an armistice and perhaps further negotiation. The fighting of spirit of the Texans, though, that caused us to become independent was stronger than ever, and the people of Texas were not terribly excited about negotiating with Santa Ana, as you might imagine. In the words of uh, the then Texas Secretary of State and later President of the Republic, Anson Jones, he said, quote, Mexico must restore us our murdered thousands before we can ever entertain the proposition of being reincorporated with that government, close quote. So that sums up the feelings of the people at the time. Anyway, Sam Houston sent two commissioners, George Hockley and Samuel May Williams, to negotiate with the Mexican government and see what could be achieved. Now, administering those negotiations was none other than Great Britain. Now, nothing came of those negotiations, and and frankly, Sam Houston probably didn't expect it to, but at least it staved off more armed conflict. The truth is that Houston wanted an independent Texas, and he was not so quietly letting everyone know that an alliance with Great Britain would be on the table. And when I say everyone, I mean the United States. At one point during this period, the United States rejected even a trade agreement which caused Sam Houston to tell the Texas minister to the United States, who was Isaac Van Zant, to just quit talking to the United States at all about any kind of aid and just drop the annexation issue altogether. In one Houston, Sam Houston in one speech actually referred to the United States in negative terms, uh, calling it an enemy, and referred to Great Britain as a friend of the republic. Well, that got the United States' attention. The U.S. Secretary of State, whose name was Abel Upshur, approached Van Zandt and asked, delicately I'm sure, whether Texas was really considering an alliance with Great Britain, which was the United States' old enemy. Upshur said basically, yep, you heard right. So I don't know if it was the natural course of events or a brilliant political move by Sam Houston, but all of a sudden the U.S. was very interested in discussing annexation again. So the U.S. approached Texas again. Now there are plenty of perspectives on these particular talks. If you go back to some accounts from folks who were there at the time, some interesting insights emerge. Toward the end of 1843, the U.S. Secretary of State apparently contended to the Texas representative that he had actually been trying to convince the American people to support annexation by appealing to what he described as greed for land. 
And he also said he was trying to fire up Southern sympathies by threatening that Great Britain was going to convince Texas to end slavery. In any event, whatever that was really going on, the U.S. was ready to talk. The treaty was proposed by the then U.S. President John Tyler. Texas negotiated with the U.S., but the treaty was ultimately rejected because Tyler couldn't get the two-thirds votes in the Senate that would be necessary to pass a treaty or ratify a treaty. Well, it was now 1844, and Texas was a very prominent issue in the 1844 U.S. presidential election. Tyler gave up on the Senate, and he went to the House of Representatives and tried to get it to pass a joint resolution to annex Texas. Now, a joint resolution would only require a Senate majority to pass rather than a supermajority. The joint resolution passed the House, and Tyler waited until three days before leaving office to sign it. James Polk, who favored Texas annexation too, was set to take office as president. Now, some interesting machinations were going on overseas after the rejection of that first treaty. Great Britain had proposed a five-way agreement between Texas, Great Britain, France, the U.S., and Mexico. Now, this agreement would include the independence of Texas and peace between Texas and Mexico. France readily agreed to this. We had The Republic had diplomatic relations and trade agreements with France. And Sam Houston ordered Anson Jones, who was the Texas, Texas Secretary of State, to inform the diplomat, Dr. Ashbill Smith, to conclude the agreement at least between Texas, France, and Great Britain, which would basically force the U.S. and Mexico to play along. Anson Jones, however, instead of following Sam Houston's orders and ordering Smith to conclude the agreement, he ordered Smith to return to Texas. Well, why would he do that? Well, Anson Jones was, at the time, the president-elect of the Republic of Texas. Now, at this point, annexation to the U.S. was thought to be hopeless, so Texas no doubt would have immediately ratified the act if Jones had followed his instructions. Now, think for a minute, if Jones had followed the instructions, there would be no state of Texas, only a republic. Now, I'll leave it to your own conclusion what would have happened had Texas never joined the United States, but I must confess from time to time to many Texans, it sounds pretty good. In fact, the proposed peace agreement was signed by Mexico and Texas before the U.S. annexation treaty was passed. Now, all of a sudden, the people of Texas were against the peace with Mexico and fervently in favor of annexation, which, as I mentioned earlier, meant possible war with Mexico. It seems that Sam Houston had initially favored annexation but then later evolved into favoring continued independence. The people, however, for whatever reason, wanted to be part of the United States, perhaps because of heritage or history or whatever, and nothing was going to stop them. I want to pause for a minute and mention to you that the annexation prospects of Texas were almost literally blown apart. On February 28, 1844, the Secretary of State Upshur and the Texas minister, Isaac Van Zant, joined President Tyler on the USS Princeton, which was a brand new U.S. warship. They cruised the Princeton down the Potomac River to show off what was at the time the largest naval cannon ever built. And so they were going to do a demonstration of the cannon. And when they lit it, it blew apart. Now, Van Zant wasn't hurt, but Secretary of State Upshur was killed. And luckily, President Tyler was below deck. (laughs) 
and escaped serious injury. So the annexation process had been delayed for a period of time, but by 1845 was back on track under the new president, Polk. Now, did I, I said back on track. It was barely back on track. The joint resolution from the House, it did indeed pass the Senate by one vote. After days of debate, the Senate took a vote, and it was 26 to 26. But one man was persuaded to change his vote, and that was Senator Henry Johnson from Louisiana. So thanks, Louisiana. We owe you one. Annexation uh, resolution in hand, a U.S. diplomat headed immediately to Texas, only to discover that British and French diplomats had beat him to Austin. Anson Jones, who was now president, was trying to delay the annexation fever so he could perhaps maintain Texas independence. At this point, Sam Houston, all of a sudden, perhaps seeing the political winds, decided and declared that he had been in favor of annexation all along, which left Anson Jones holding the bag for independence. There were rallies all over Texas, and Anson Jones was made out to be the villain. So needless to say, any affection between Jones and Houston was over with. By now, it was a foregone conclusion. There was an election in November 1845, and the people of Texas overwhelmingly voted for annexation. The U.S. Congress uh, shortly thereafter voted to admit Texas, and on December 29, 1845, 170 years ago today, President Polk signed Texas's annexation into law. When Texas presented its constitution to the U.S. Congress and it was approved, Texas formally entered the Union on February 19, 1846, and at that ceremony, President Anson Jones said when he lowered the Republic of Texas's flag for the last time, quote, the final act in this great drama is now performed. The Republic of Texas is no more. Now, a couple of things about how Texas entered the Union bear mentioning. First, we are the only state to have entered essentially by treaty rather than technically by annexation. And part of that agreement allowed Texas to retain all her public lands, which has proven a tremendous benefit to the state. Also, Texas may split itself into five states. Now, many have advocated that over the years, and it's interesting to think about. What we cannot do, however, despite what many folks think, is secede. That's a myth. We tried that once in 1861, and it didn't really work out so well. Now, there are tons of technical details, legal details, and political drama that surround the annexation of Texas, and if any of the listeners out there have political interest, I encourage you to read more about it. It was certainly an interesting time in Texas and American history, especially given that right after annexation, we almost immediately went to war with Mexico and then, of course, had the Civil War several years later. The story of annexation certainly shows, once again, that Texas is different from any other place. Now we come to the part of the show called Getting There, where I tell you how to go see some of the places described in the episode. We'll start with the Texas legation to Great Britain. It was located at 3 St. James in Pickering Place in London in a building that houses Berry Brothers and Rudd. Berry Brothers and Rudd are wine merchants. They've been located in that building since the 1700s, and they are still located in that building. Two Texas governors have placed a plaque at the site. The first was Price Daniel in 1963, and the second was Governor Rick Perry in 2014. Britain also had a consulate in Houston during the Republic days and in Galveston. 
The bell of the USS Princeton, the ship that almost ended Texas annexation, is displayed in the Borough Hall, which is the City Hall in Princeton, New Jersey. Now, a little easier to see, a little more local, is the location of General Wall's capture of the judge, the district clerk, and almost all the lawyers in San Antonio. In 1842, court was held in San Antonio in a one-story adobe building called the Casa Reales. The building was located at a spot that's now 114 East Main Plaza in San Antonio. It's at the corner of Market and Soledad Streets. The building, unfortunately, is long gone, but there's a marker at the site. Well, that wraps it up for Episode 7 of Wise About Texas. I want to thank everyone for the continued wonderful feedback about the show. Please leave a review on iTunes if you get a second so we can spread the message of Texas history. And be sure to share the Wise About Texas Facebook page. You can keep up with the show on Twitter at Wise About Texas. That's at Wise About Texas. So until next time, God bless Texas, and we'll see you down the road.